Welcome to Heavy Hops. My name's Alexi. My name's Sam. Joining us today is Zach Wheel of Oozing Wound. Uh, how would you describe this band, Sam? Wild, like Zach Wild. And not like Slayer, right? As we found out. No, no. I would, uh, the, you know, there's some noise component in there, so you, you can't really say Slayer. Um, look at the episode notes to find the link to what we're going to talk about in the episode <laughs> about Slayer, about yeah. Slayer comparisons. <laughs> Uh, in any event, we spend a lot of time talking about uh, the composition of their music and where mm -hmm. the inspiration comes from. We also spend some time talking about uh, the origins, or we should say, the resurgence of tapes in the DIY scene as well. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have to add that back in the episode yeah, notes. Yeah, yeah. Throw it in there. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah. Um, before, we, uh, before we unleash the wound for you guys... Um, Make sure that you're uh, uh, set up as a subscriber to Heavy Hops on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or uh, your preferred podcast medium. And also uh, be sure to share the podcast with others via social media. Um, we've got some other cool things coming up, right, Sam? Yeah, we do. But, you know, definitely share with your friends. Everything's better with friends. Everything's better <laughs> with sharing. Uh, also, on top of that, um, thanks to everyone who showed up. This showed up. Um, <laughs> who came, uh, who came, <laughs> who used their internet browsers to uh, join us for uh, our uh, Q&A. Yeah, those are a lot of fun, and we look forward to seeing you all um, in a couple weeks when we do one again. But keep it, keep posted for everything we're doing. You can follow us on Heavy Hops at um, on the Instagram, as well as uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Sam Kange. That's C A N G E, and you can follow Alexi at Who the fuck is Alexi on Instagram? I don't think you need a spelling of that one. So, without further ado, let's dive and get heavy. It's all in-house. It's all pure. It's a vertical no, he system. Doesn't, he doesn't touch it. He just converts it yep. from Wave to an MP3 <laughs> and then sends it to and me. And that's it. I have to do that for all our uh, practice recordings. It's a pain in the ass. So yeah. Kudos. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, like, uh, especially like when you're chopping things up and they are longer. And you got to name them all. And yep. then you got to organize. It's, yeah, never ending. Not a good time. So you record every, uh, every wound rehearsal? Uh, we generally anything that we're doing something new, if it's, if we're just rehearsing for some show where it's like, you know, the seven or eight songs that we've been playing, there's no real reason to record it. I know where we suck. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's not going to change. Uh, but yeah, if we're working on new stuff, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I've had a, like a handheld recorder, uh, I think pretty much the entire time we've been a band. So it, it Compared to other bands that I've been in, it has sped up the process significantly. Now it's not even a major hurdle for most people. Mm -hmm. So back in the day, it was a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Big problem. It was. Yeah, I had like a Tascam four-track tape recorder, and then you had to have specific tapes for that, but you also had to set up a stereo uh... thing, and then... You had to make sure it sounded good if you were in the middle of a take and a cut off. You don't know. Yeah. Oh, that's a pain in the ass. Oh, God. And those tapes weren't very long because it records at double speed. So, right. And you don't want long tapes because then the, the quality is really low. Right. So, yeah, it sucks. We've moved on from tapes. Thank God. <laughs> Why are tapes coming back, though? That's what I want to know. 
And this wait, is like wait. a DIY, more like in the DIY scene. And you, you see this. In, so, yeah, yeah, like punk bands they, and noise bands. They never left. Yeah, they the, came well, back no. like 10 years ago. Yeah, with seriously. Okay, but like they're really, really coming back now. I don't like, even agree with that. I think no. No. I think they never left. When a, when a band like Iron Maiden redistributes fucking Number of the Beast in like 2019 on cassette, yeah. you know it's like coming back back. Yeah, I, I think it's just other people looking for something that's as sexy as buying records, but is right. slightly. It, I mean, it's niche. It's it's on purpose. It, it you know it's much more difficult. It creates a barrier. It makes you know you don't have a tape deck. Your car is too new, kind of thing. Like that. That's never been that surprising to me. But I I have an entire like stack or like no stack of stacks of tapes from about 10 years ago when I think the resurgence hit the, like, the major point and uh -huh. everybody had tapes and you had to have a tape and it didn't matter what was like we have technically two tapes and it's garbage material that <laughs> throw some shit on there uh -huh. people love tapes well sound quality doesn't matter with tapes so you can really do whatever you want like I feel like as far as mediums go you just can't capture like enough of the essence of music on tape you know like it, oh, there's like oh that's not true no nah, i think it's it's that's so part of the argument that people make about uh the your resurgence and our <laughs> actuality that it has stayed this whole time mm -hmm. uh the argument that uh that i hear from a lot of bands about continuing to print uh or to manufacture on cassettes is that especially for like this is a little more like European bands, but bands that tour in Eastern Europe and things like that, where people may not have a lot of money, but they still want a recording. A lot of those people yeah. have cassettes, cassette players. So mm -hmm. that's right. an easy way for them to spend half as much as they would on an LP and to still get the music and voila. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's not a CD, which just, it's right. not a fun thing to sell because nobody really wants them. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're coasters and it's the, it, and they're not durable too. Cassettes are durable. Oh yeah, no. CD will break really quickly, but it's all. And I mean, most computers don't even have disk drives anymore. So right. where is your CD player that you have? <laughs> it's like most people don't have a dedicated CD player anymore. I mean, some people do. So your resurgence right. on the cassette also coincided. Let me put words in your mouth for a second, please. Um, was when was at that time when. CDs and Bluetooth and cassettes were all like converging on the car market. Kind of. Uh, it was more there. There was a huge rise of CDRs. And so you would just have a million CDRs on your merch table. Uh, and then, I mean, for a few years, I feel like it was kind of both. You have CDRs, you'd have maybe one like vinyl record that somebody wasted a ton of money on and no one buys. And then you have some tapes and you'll probably sell a couple of those. And it's more just about having the most like the most mediums, but I think it's just people still have tape decks. People don't have CD players really anymore. You have things that maybe can play CDs, but it's not like the thing that you want to listen to music on. Mm -hmm. In my experience, may I might be totally wrong about this. <laughs> I think every I think people were looking for a reason to reject CDs for a long time too, mm -hmm. because uh, precisely the fragility of them and the fact that there's nothing like. The booklets are so small that you can't read like half the crap that's on there anyways, right. which yeah. is the argument that people use for vinyl. And mm -hmm. so 
what you have is just this weird in-between medium that clearly the market totally rejected after a, after a pretty <laughs> short amount of time. Right. Well, when yeah. you compare it to vinyl or like it got laser disc almost. Yeah. Well, yeah, they wanted to do laser disc, but that didn't catch on. I mean, beta sounded better than VHS, but that didn't catch on because it was it's too expensive. It's not like consumer friendly. But it was the move. I mean, it's MP3s because if you don't need a CD player, it's just like it's a doesn't even exist in the physical world. It's mm-hmm. it's just a title <laughs> on your computer. It's all you need. I, for my personal reasons, I like vinyl and tapes to a, a lesser degree. But mo- I like A and B sides. Uh, it's how I think. It's how I write stuff. So mm-hmm. to me, uh, that is the romantic element of it. That I just like how it presents the art form. When I first got an iPod when I was 18 in like what 2003, all I start I started listening to music really differently. I started playing songs in like two minute chunks, and then I would start skipping around, and I would listen to choruses, and then I'd move on from that, and then I was just constantly unhappy with everything <laughs> I was listening to because I was consuming it so fast that I was just trying to get to the next thing to give me the same feeling that I had from listening to like the one spot in this one song, and it was Interesting. a it was a conscious decision on my part to pull back from that. I still. I saw tons of like illegally downloaded music because that I mean, it's the two ways I do it. I buy records and then I download everything that I want. And then I like I don't like streaming because I also know how much that pays. And I would honestly rather people stole it because mm-hmm. <laughs> getting like a point one seven cents from Spotify is more insulting than hearing that somebody <laughs> stole the record off SoulSeek and they actually enjoyed it. So right. to me, I'm sure that Bettina <laughs> from Thrill Jockey is not in agreement on this. <laughs> you know, it's a business. And I, it's hard when you're doing art in a business. So mm-hmm. if people like tapes, that's great. If people they want CDs, that's great too. We usually sell more CDs in Europe, uh, definitely more than vinyl. And it's the I 100% get that aspect of wanting to have tapes, uh, especially for Eastern Europe. Um, let's, I want to jump onto something, I'm going to latch onto something that you said, uh, a couple minutes ago. And that is that, um, how you think when you write, uh, is a side B side. Can you jump into that a little bit more and explain how that works? Yeah. I mean, it's more, uh, it's not like the, the thing that I'm thinking of when I'm writing stuff. It's more that once you start having enough songs, it presents itself in a certain way. Uh, and then you have to start organizing things in terms of A side, B side, what leads the first side, what leads the second side, what what's the song that takes you over the B side, what do you want to essentially have end, and then there be silence, and then like, you know, it's a period on that thought, mm-hmm. which you don't get on CDs, unless you specifically put 30 seconds of silence in there like King Crimson or something. But I mean, <laughs> there have definitely been times when I've had records on when I was like, I think it's off. <laughs> uh, but I think that's important. Um, on the newest one that we're working on right now, I haven't even gotten to that stage yet. And it's a negotiation because whatever I think is going to be the ultimate, this is exactly how this record is supposed to sound. 100% Kevin says that's not how it's going to be. <laughs> so it, it's more about like intentions, uh, you know, maybe having a, a plan that you're aiming for, but you know it's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. At least in terms of my level of artistic ability. Everything <laughs> that I'm saying that's a generalized statement, it's just me. I, <laughs> I cannot speak for anybody. Gotcha. <laughs> so, I, yeah, when, so for writing, I think, uh, you know, not everybody does it, but when if you start writing, like, six 12-minute songs, uh, it's going to make how you plan your record out differently. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, before the pandemic, uh, like, 
I mean, I'm pretty sure we've been to every fucking wound show in the last like five years. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> at least in Chicago. But, um, like the last couple, maybe like the last few shows, you started playing some newer material that was a bit more like mid tempo. Yeah. The whole new record is mid tempo. Sure. See, that's sick. What's the, what's the decision behind that? I got tired. <laughs> just wanted to play a little slower. Yeah. I, okay, so like, I've, Oozing One's nine years old. Before that, I was in a band called Zoth with uh, Seth from Hyde for three years, uh, and Dan Browning from Cave. We were a progressive thrash trio. So I've been playing fast for about 12 years, pretty much with like no gaps, mm -hmm. and I'm out of ideas. <laughs> I, I thought I was out of ideas a few years ago, and then we we met we came up with another one. I was like, oh my god, there's still something here. But like, I really can't think of anything else to do. At least right now. I mean, what what we're writing or what we were writing, which is now stuff that's about almost a year old, mm -hmm. but it's it's new because okay. we're not playing it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's really it's yeah, it's a slower, grungier, very specifically aiming towards Nirvana, Bleach, Tad kind mm -hmm. of stuff. But it's also in, it sounds probably industrial because I that's no matter what I do, that's just what apparently happens. I'm mm -hmm. told a lot of things about what my <laughs> style is, and I've kind of internalized some of them for better or worse. But mm -hmm. I, I mean, I know what the that kind of aesthetic sounds like. But yeah, I think we've played two of the eight new things that we've gotten down live before. We played at the Lingua Ignata show. We played uh, two new songs. Yeah, one's like bankrupt, uh, <laughs> bank account, bank anxiety. account anxiety. That's the one when we first heard it. I think was it Half Acre? You played that one the first oh, time. Oh yeah, yeah, it could be. Yeah, yeah, and we were like, all right, we need that. We need to. We need that now. I've wanted. <laughs> I've, I've wanted to put that out for like two years because uh -huh. that song is kind of old at this point. It was the first one that started like the whole writing process. Mm -hmm. uh, we, tried, we were going to do it as a live track and put it out for some comp, and then that fell away, and then we're like, well, cool, we'll go in the studio, and then we're like, well, maybe we don't want to use that song yet because it's, <laughs> like, it's too good. you got to save it for the record. <laughs> you can't, you, if you're going to do a single, it's got to be pretty good, but it can't be like the best because uh -huh. then you wasted that as a single <laughs> and not as the thing that you got to use yeah. to push units. <laughs> if you want to think about it as a business thing. Uh-huh. Well, it's very fitting timing, I think, for people to listen to a song about bank account That's, anxiety. Uh, yeah, no, that, it's killing me inside. <laughs> it's like, I, I write about this all the time. Everything I write about is basically the state of life we're in right now, and we don't have anything to put out. And it's kind of killing me, but it would almost be worse right now to have a record to put out. That's mm -hmm. how I really feel for all of my friends that are doing this because it's like no matter how many accolades you get right now or whatever it's like two three months on people are already on to the next thing mm -hmm. it's hard to capitalize on like with a tour on a record that's two years old right mm -hmm. and i really feel for a lot of the bands that pushed albums out at the beginning of this year or the end of last year and had all these touring plans for this year you know to push these new records and like at, at one point, yeah, they won't be playing right now. And so everything will be fresh in a live perspective. But well, I, where I, are you going to play uh, yeah. <laughs> in some, yes. in some way, yeah. like <laughs> in a way? But a lot of how the music business has been like framing uh, the return of live music is that 
it's just a, oh, it's going to be the same exact stuff that we booked before. But I don't really think that there's a full acknowledgement that the world has changed so much and that what people are listening to may be different now mm -hmm. in, in so far as like, you can't just, so if we can talk about this maybe in the, I don't even remember if we've talked about this on the show, but like if we're talking about, um, Roadburn, for example, yeah. like it's just, oh, we're going to do the same exact thing you bought. Like the whole <laughs> idea is that you bought tickets for something and it didn't happen. So we're going to do the same exact thing next year. Yeah. But the world yeah. ain't 2020 in 2021. Right. Oh, yeah, for sure. And so like there's a huge disconnect there. And so Absolutely. that's where I think that's where both like organizers totally shoot themselves in the foot. Mm -hmm. Um and where like, uh, who the fuck knows what the implications are for the advertisers that are probably footing half this stuff too. Oh yeah, and, no, the, the <laughs> amount of money lost already is insane. Uh -huh. And then on top of that, the, your your bands that like uh, put stuff out in January, or I mean, I mean, right? <laughs> well really, I don't know, like uh, who, Blood Incantation couldn't do a tour because, uh, because they put out an album in the middle of December, mm -hmm. like, I don't know. It, it, it's a weird thing. I think that there's so much uh, pressure that is put on for holding those commitments that people bought tickets for because otherwise like organizers and venues would really be fucked if they had to refund everyone. Right. But at the same yeah. time, it's putting pause on something that's actually kind of being left behind by the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the other aspect are uh, the contracts that are being signed. Like we were supposed to play Ross Kilday this year in July. This was like the end of our touring cycle for high anxiety. So we had like the one last big push in Europe and it was going to be the biggest show pro that probably that we would ever play. Because I think it's about in, at least 10,000 people. Oh, there's 1 billion people that go. <laughs> All of Scandinavia goes. Right. So like I, I try to keep it in perspective. Like that's uh, at least career wise, our huge loss this year. Mm -hmm. uh, but we technically have a contract that says we're supposed to play this show. I talked to our booking agent, you know, like 8,000 years ago about like, well, what happens now? And he's like, I don't, but I think you play next year. Like <laughs> no one, no one knows. And if you make the commitment now saying that you're going to throw this festival in July or whatever, and it's still, and we're still dealing with this, right. then you just canceled another festival. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that will probably bankrupt a ton of people. I know the bottle was trying to do this kind of thing where they were, you know, shows that were booked in March were pushed to October and then we were like sitting on it and wondering what was going to happen. And then it was a very conscious like in around July of like, yeah, it's probably not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so, well, yeah, they had like uh, two different pencils for the same show. Yeah. Where mm -hmm. like, oh, we'll do it in October. And if not, we'll do it we'll in do it March. In, yeah. Of next. And year. so that concert calendar must have looked like a fucking horror show. Yeah. Everybody's right now. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And then you. So there's that, and then it's like, people have to be able to go on tour, and you have to have the whole system set up so that there's, you know, not the giant gaps in between the big cities kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, this is a touring system that's been in place since the 80s, uh, at least on the DIY level, uh, you know, a morph of what was around in the 50s and 60s, and it's kind of like, in some capacity, kind of been the same places, or at least trading liquor licenses, things like that. Like, if all of the, if all the venues in Chicago close, the biggest issue is not going to be necessarily the venue license, which is also really hard to get, but the liquor license is on top of it. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, people are like, oh, it'll come back. It's like, I, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm doubtful on that. You know, that's like. Well, the city always has an impetus to make 
uh, money. So if there's licenses that are being lost, there's always going to be at least an equal number that are available. But it's about who are they going to give it to? And that's going to be Live Nation. Yeah. Because they're going to gobble it up. And so then you run into the issue of, well, the Lincoln Yards project, how Live Nation wanted to buy out all those venue spaces at multiple different capacities, Mm -hmm. effectively putting out all the venue, independent venues in Chicago. Right. So while we wouldn't lose live music per se, we would certainly lose local live music (laughs) (laughs) as we know it. Well, I mean, at least in the venue sense, I mean, DIY, uh, I'm not sure what it's going to be coming up, but I mean, it's existed in some capacity ever since I've lived here, even if it's been quashed or destroyed on literally every level. Mm -hmm. Rest in peace, young Camelot. (laughs) 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 I'm not even going to go into the young Camelot stuff, but... There will always be people who think <laughs> that they are a martyr for putting on a DIY space and, you know, bless them. But mm-hmm. it's like you did it to yourself. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I I do think the DIY scene will it will continue. Sure. Through after this. And it it will probably be more robust if if there's More enough venue. people that want to be a part of it. Right. I don't know what's going on right now in music, and maybe some of these venues are trying to still hold like a little bit of that, um, like DIY venues. So there could be shows going on, but I don't know. You know? Nah, I haven't heard of anything. Haven't had any offers to play, at least inside Chicago. There's definitely been a few people who've messaged me to come play in like Joliet. No, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> then some guy was like, "Stop listening to CNN, like, <laughs> cry baby." It's like, oh yeah, I forgot. It's a big. I- I've seen shows, uh, pictures from shows that are occurring in Europe and in Germany, and there's two models that I'm seeing is, and these are like club level shows too. Is that there's indoor things happening that are like seated, mm-hmm. um, and there's like tables that you sit at basically. And then you can, it's like seating in a restaurant, basically. I'm, I'm sure. A night with yeah. a night with wound. That sounds great. Yeah. But, uh, everywhere we played in Germany has like a capacity of like a hundred people if you cram them in. So, we'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll play to like ten people. Well, you'll play to a hundred people inside a venue of nine hundred, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they love doing that for us. Then they can pull the curtains out, and they're like, "We're not." We they they did that to us in a. Oh, man. In Belgium. I actually love this place. The Magazine 4. Oh, wait. No, I'm sorry. Different place. I can't actually remember the name of it. But there was... I remember that Slayer had painted the room, or the green room, completely black. They, like, demanded it so that they could play there. I wish I could remember the name of it. But they... It was a very big venue, and I was having, like, a panic attack because it was on our first European tour. And I was like, this is <laughs> this is way too much. Like, we like we're, this is going to be embarrassingly bad. Mm-hmm. They, <laughs> they just put all of these curtains up and then reduced it to, like, a 30-capacity <laughs> venue. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen... They do that at the Bottom Lounge. Yeah. No, yeah. they do that at Bottom Lounge. I think you see that... You want to know something weird? I have never been to the what I still consider the new bottom lounge. Because I, I I played at the first one uh, mm-hmm. when it was on Belmont, and my bass got stolen, and I've never forgiven the venue. <laughs> Damn you, Brian <laughs> Peterson. Yeah. <laughs> Does Brian Peterson still book there? Uh, no, he books at uh, Chop Shop. Mm-hmm. And um, no, he might still book there, too. But I, definitely a Chop Shop. Haven't really dealt with him since the fireside days. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, no, Bottom Lounge is an interesting place. It's huge. Not mm-hmm. only like the venue, but like there's an upstairs area. There's just like a whole bunch of spaces in that building. I will probably never see it. Yeah, based no, on the way I, things are going. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a place that a number of, uh, like Mike Miller is a, of Delilah's is a part owner there. Mm-hmm. It's like a place that a lot of bar owners have put money in. And I that think makes sense. they do a lot of, they do a good number of like Live Nation yeah. book shows as well. Yeah. That explains why we've never played there. You would not oh, believe yeah. it, but Live Nation doesn't want us. At all. Oh, I figured you'd be like the first band they want. Yeah. yeah the would. local, their local band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's up with that? Why aren't you their band? I, you the should house be their band. Go- yeah. The you you got to move up band. from the bottle eventually and be Live Nation's house band. You would be surprised at how few people want anything to do with us. <laughs> I'll never forget, uh, what, like when we first started, Billions apparently was like somewhat interested in booking us. And then I sent them an email and they said they'd rather stay fans. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's like yeah it's the story of everything for me wow what did you say nothing you can't say anything to that yeah <laughs> no. thanks I'd, yeah I'd ra- thanks. That's, that's i'd rather be friends yeah that's pretty fucked you know what on second thought take that back <laughs> yeah i we did it to ourselves called a doozing wound i knew what i was getting into <laughs> so you how much new material do you have written uh, I would I would call it an album's worth. Uh, ten songs, some in some form of finished capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done all of our albums have been seven songs, seven songs, ten songs, seven songs. Uh, and the one that had ten songs got the worst reviews. So maybe that was a sign <laughs> not to do that. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, it's gonna be what it'll be. What it is. <laughs> I, I really don't know. Um, and within this, so if we're talking about the, like the construction of the songs and the, like the order of them, if you're thinking about things in relation to sides, you already have an idea as to where your stops and your starts are going to be right. A little bit. Yeah. Um, this one's a little different just cause the length of the songs is different and the, the intensity of the album's different. It's not like here's six fast songs and one slow one. It's like, well, there were the slow ones going and the side <laughs> a or side B. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's a little bit different in that construction. It'll ultimately what happens is, is you have to see how long all the songs are. And then you have to start doing the calculus of how much time can you put on each side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have fallen into the trap two times now of having an etched b-side of some record and i hate it so i'd really rather plot it all out this time so that it fits perfectly as a unit Mm -hmm. so when it comes to building like obviously you guys have a lot of diy ethic in what you do but there's a record label that kind of pushes out your material on physical format um how did that relationship form and when did you kind of decide you needed that little support to kind of push physical copies out. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've told this story many times, but I'm <laughs> glad for a gale again. <laughs> we played at the Empty Bottle with uh, Brian Chippendale's band, Black Puss, his other band from Lightning Bolt. It's like a solo project. Uh, I can't remember who was booking at the time. It was either Pete Tolson or Kristen Thomas, and they booked us. Uh, we were opening. Uh, I didn't know at the time that Black Puss was on Thrill Jockey, and this was before Lightning Bolt was on there and everything. They had formed some kind of relationship. Uh, we had met Brian years before that when I played in this band called Kaka. 
uh, which had former members of Coughs. Coughs were on Load Records. Load Records was the, the record label that put out Lightning Bolt. So they were old friends. That's how we all met. Uh, so we played the show. Uh, she saw, or Bettina, who runs Thrill Jockey, saw us play. Uh, Brian was like, you should put out their record. And she liked the fact that we were called Oozing Wound and we were playing with Black Puss. <laughs> and it just so happened that we had just recorded at um, Electrical Audio because my friend Matt Russell, who recorded three of the four records that we have made, uh, was interning there and he had a free day because that's what like one of the perks that you get for doing intern work there is like you're not paid but here's one day in the studio and he okay. knew that we would utilize the whole day because before that he uh we had recorded our four song tape in one night so he <laughs> knew that we would be able to churn out enough material in a day to make it worthwhile mm-hmm. so we were able to do retrash that way and then when bettina was interested we had a finished product so it Damn. was kind of serendipitous that it worked out that way. Otherwise, it would have been a Rotted Tooth record, which was Kyle's uh, tape, mostly tape label. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what we were planning on doing. And then it just kind of took a different path. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I never expected anybody to care. That, that, <laughs> that, that was the, get-go, or the idea from the get-go. So there's Sick. the story. That is how... I like it. That's how it happened. And just, as, in terms of how it works now... Uh, she is super supportive of anything that we want to do. Um, you know, there's a slight budget negotiation, but that's the same for literally any medium of anything. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have a plan for what we want to do on the next record. Timing wise, though, it's, you know, this year is impossible. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's pretty much where it is. Anytime that we want to do something, she's interested in it and she's willing to put it out. And then it's, you know, but then it's like, well, what do you do when you put out a record right now? Because right. the idea is you're supposed to go out and sell the fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that your label hard. doesn't hate you for <laughs> like having a stack of boxes of vinyl records that no one's ever going to buy. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever met people who run record labels, but that's generally what their apartments are filled with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I um, have boxes of compact discs. That's even worse because I yeah. hate CDs. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've got a question, but before we uh, keep rolling... Should we open another beer? Yeah, I can find sure. something. Sure. Yeah. Let's do it. What are we looking at? Uh, let's do this. What is the first one this? I grab? Oh, Mikieller. Yeah, the collaboration with uh, Anchorage Brewing Company. Ooh. Oh. A beer I bought when I worked at Local Option, and I still haven't tasted it. So here we go. All right. Awesome. I think it's uh, based on the name. I'm going to pour it out before I make a. It's gonna be. This is gonna be a gusher. Oh, we could record this for the intro. Oh yeah. Ooh, that was good. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, so so this is um, McKellar made a beer years ago called uh, U.S. Alive, and it was um their t- his take on Orval, uh, legendary Trappist uh, Brett beer. Or Brett refermented beer, and it's the only beer that is made at that uh, uh, at that monastery. And so, thank you. It's one of Mickle's favorite beers, and he made uh, a couple of versions of it at uh, De Prof in Belgium, where he makes most of his beers. And uh, suppose uh, he and Gabe from Anchorage decided to do a version there, which makes sense because that's something Anchorage specializes in: is Brett beers. Mm-hmm sick so all right and i like 
uh, I don't know. I'm I'm happy to finally drink a beer that I bought a job I had <laughs> six years ago. Well, cheers to cheers. a, cheers. a six-year-old <laughs> endeavor. Six-year-old beer? Nice. Uh, four. Mm. I don't. I can't math. Math is a little difficult. Tastes like beer. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it's not super funky. It still has like a, a beautiful like floral hot profile. Mm-hmm. It is on like the heavier side of medium bodied. Definitely. Relatively crisp. Yeah, I, I would say it's a little sweeter too, though. Definitely. Mm. Um, not the crispest. Crispy. Mm. It was probably really crisp when uh, when you first got it. Maybe. Um, Could use more time in the bottle. Maybe we'll visit again in another four years. <laughs> bottle it up again. Yeah. Put it back in. We can reverse the sound we just yeah. made. So uh, you brought up Kyle earlier. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. So Oozing Wound for most of its time together mm-hmm. has been the same three people. Yeah. Except for an intermediate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kyle's a sabbatical year. Yeah. 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 It. So uh, how, how did that happen? Did did Kevin he had a say life, something? Did no, you he say had a something? life plan and it didn't quite work out. He, Kyle's been this kind of person who, I mean, we, we met in our early twenties and he, I, for whatever reason, always had this thing. He's like, dude, when I turn 30, I'm, you know, I'm going straight. I'm like, I'm done with this. It's like, okay, sure. <laughs> and he like kind of maintained this idea. He's like, yeah, I got to grow up someday kind of crap, except that he's just like a big party monster. And it's like, okay, sure. But then uh, sure enough, like there was some like life stuff that started happening and he's like promoted at work. He got married at one point and like did all the stuff. And he's like, I'm moving to California. We're like, it was an inevitability that I had known about for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he had all these plans and then everything just kind of did not happen the way that he thought it would. Uh, and in that time, we got our friend Casey from Milwaukee to come and play. He used to play in this band called Catacombs. We actually had to do tryouts and stuff. It was a very weird process. They did not like it because <laughs> I've been playing with Kyle forever. Like mm-hmm. I write to Kyle because uh, he and I ha- collectively have been playing for like 13 years together. Mm-hmm. So like I know what to do and what he's going to do against it. So it was a it was a weird trying to get somebody else to like play like Kyle, but not at all. Right. Casey did a really, really admirable job. And he went on two tours with us and pretty much immediately like for whatever forever so that was the most touring we ever did in a small chunk and he killed it and then we were working on the new album at the time which was the stuff for high anxiety and then he got a an offer he couldn't refuse to go back to grad school for like electrical engineering that was all being paid for it was like worth a wow. hundred thousand dollars or something we're like oh okay <laughs> like no come come play in the basement with <laughs> <But> us <laughs> throw that hundred thousand yeah, dollars away, away. Yeah. <laughs> So I was super pissed. Actually, uh, it's amazing. There's a video of Ke- that Kevin and I did of how to make weed brownies that we both really didn't want to do is for some YouTube channel I don't even think exists anymore. But it was the day we found out that Casey quit. And I was so pissed off. And like you can tell in the video that all of our energy is just completely <laughs> wrong. It's not funny. Like he and I are really like at heads. Uh-huh. And that's why. <laughs> uh, and then I don't know, like. Two weeks or so after that, I made some joke about, oh, we should ask Kyle to come back. And he's like, yeah, you know, maybe I would. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> that's kind of where we've been ever since. And then like a few weeks after he came back, we went and played the weird AV club thing where we played our Blink-182 cover. That was like, oh, yeah. that was to get Kyle back into the groove of things. That was like the whole idea behind it. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. There is you he, go. Is he a big Blink-182 fan? Mm-mm. Oh, okay. No, everyone assumes that we, like, we picked that song because we wanted to or like entice him with something he loves there was a list of songs and like we went through all of them and i'm like i like what could we actually play on here that we could like turn into an oozing wound song that's not just like going to be some weird bad cover and Mm -hmm. it was like between three different songs i think the other one was lionel richie all night and i was like i like i don't really know how to do that But I had, a, like, we were practicing, and I had some, I was like, oh, what if we just, like, play it like a black metal song? It'd be really <laughs> funny. And then everyone took it seriously, of course. This is my entire life. I think everything's a big joke, and then people will think I'm serious about this shit, and it's now, that's, like, my legacy, is where I, I apparently look like Haley Joel Osmond, according to the YouTube comments. <laughs> and, and we apparently suck. I knew that already, but, Yeah. One big joke. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. Damn. I love it. Yeah. I, my The intentions I put behind things never come off correctly. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I was kind of kidding about that, but um, we'll, well roll with it. No, there. I mean, there's also this whole politics thing that people think about for or what AD Club was, because it's way different than it was three years ago. They got bought out by Condé Nast or whatever. Mm-hmm. reshape the whole structure they got rid of the song cover thing because they weren't paying for covers uh you can't technically find them on the av club website anymore because they like buried it on some back uh-huh. page because somebody in the law like department realized they were screwed uh-huh so that's why they don't do it anymore too damn but yeah it was just a list of songs i just wanted one that was good <laughs> for us <laughs> and you wound up with blink <laughs> love it was the first guitar riff i ever learned really yeah. what song damn it Damn it. That was your first. Yeah, when I was in seventh grade. Guitar club. <laughs> I had you had to start somewhere. No, that's true. No, it was, it was damn it and come as you are. It's like yeah. they're basically like the same notes. And you know, trying to figure that stuff out. All I wanted to do was play Nirvana. And then I was also, mm-hmm. you know, I had pop punk was big. I don't know if you guys remember this, but in 1998, people really huge. liked that crap. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it was big, it. yeah. Oh yeah. I think I, come as you are was my first riff riff. Yeah, oh, that, yeah, oh that's yeah. a riff, baby. Oh, yeah. Boom, boo, doo, doo. <laughs> or, I mean, and if you play it faster, it's 80s by uh, Killing Joke. It's also, I can't remember. It's three songs. It's also, it was this, and then it was that. <laughs> but, I mean, but like, it's the same chorus sound and everything. They got, they were gonna, or Killing Joke was going to sue Nirvana, and then Geffen convinced them not to because they were also on Geffen, and, like, they got some kind of a deal out of it. Mm. Interesting. You get a portion of these. Oh, the days oh, the when sales. record labels had money. Uh, right? <laughs> Yeah, I keep thinking about that. I nothing drives me more insane than like watching some documentary about like Queen and they're like they spent fifty thousand pounds in like two days recording vocals and it's like oh cool that's or like they what sound we, really good or like what we were talking about uh, before you came and we were talking about like sixties uh, and seventies prog music. And here are these people making the most inaccessible music and they're paid all this money all and they have the like they all were these write-offs. crazy yeah. props. Yeah. There used to be a whole thing about tax write-offs with these records that you would put out and that, that I don't really understand the math behind it, but that's why that stuff existed and why you got those weird sub labels like Verve. They're just like, put out the jazz that like 10 people like. It's like, cool. 
I'm way into that right now. I'm glad it exists. All I've been listening to is jazz fusion in Prague for like three months straight. Damn. That is it. That's all I want. <laughs> and honestly, I've been listening to some like cheese. And I got, it's bad. But I love it right now. That's so interesting that like I never knew that was uh, like an industry within the record industry is like the, the tax write off sub label kind mm -hmm. of mentality but like the amount of money like you were saying that record labels would just throw onto a record well people used to buy them right <laughs> so that's yeah. true yeah. So yeah that's the whole thing if uh if people buy it there's money yeah but do you really need to spend fifty thousand dollars recording vocals for two days listen like, to queen that's that's i'm telling like do, do you sound like i don't sound like uh, queen no. when i record no that's true and i, I think it's because of that it, it's all in the <laughs> so money you think if you had fifty thousand dollars on a vocal recording and and an original like 10 pence that not the new kind from like the last 30 years but like the one from the 70s because that's what brian may would use and it gives a very specific sound to your guitar it gives mm. it like that shearing sound when you play mm -hmm. if i had those two things yeah Okay. Interesting. <laughs> That'll be our first um, crowdfunding endeavor. Uh, raise $50,000 for Zach to do a, yes. a Queen cover? Yes. Should it be a Queen cover? I don't care. Bohemian <laughs> Rhapsody was my favorite song when I was like eight because I would watch Wayne's World. Uh, oh, yeah. Of but, course. I mean, $50,000 for how long of a song? Are we undershooting it with $50,000? It doesn't need Queen has short songs. Lazing yeah. on a Sunday afternoon is two minutes long. Yeah, we Killer could, guitar solo at the end, too. True. We can do uh, Fat Bottom Girls or... Mm. Not, not too into the, I'm not into the later era, like oh, pop okay. queen. I uh, like prog queen. You like prog queen, yeah. so early. Okay, we can, we can keep I, it I early. go as far as... Uh, well, Day at the Race is probably my last like favorite, favorite one. Okay. And I'll go as far as the game. The game is good, too. Yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, I, like, I like pop queen. I do. There was, there was some good later stuff. It just like it's never hit me mm. in the same way. Uh, who knows? Maybe it will one day. I'm literally <laughs> listening to stuff that sounds like the Mario Kart music. It's, they call it jazz, but <laughs> holy crap! It really. My girlfriend, when I was playing it, she thought I was playing Mario Kart. Nuh uh She was like, "Oh, I want in next game." <laughs> no, really. no, she actually wanted me to turn it off. <laughs> Sega only. Well, it's Frank Gambale. He's an incredible guitar player. He like created sweet picking. He created the entire like method of how you do it. And he is phenomenal. But like all shredders has the worst taste. Because mm. once you hit that level, it's like, I guess all chords just sound the same to you. And music <laughs> is just like this tapestry of bullshit that you can throw at people. <laughs> and like you can dazzle them with notes, but you can't actually hit them in the soul. <laughs> and so it's, it's confounding to me because I, I can't do it at uh -huh. all. But, uh, you know, there's, there's moments. <laughs> there's you listen to an eight minute stretch and man that two seconds that 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 felt right every so often there is some stuff around just like, i mean that like that was what i felt when i went to my first g3 concert was like wait what's g3 yeah so that year was uh satriani vi and oh. mom scene and i was like wait, wait, wait. okay I'm here with two guitar players and they don't know what G3 is. Anywho, uh, beside that. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't suck. <laughs> I write music, okay? I don't shred. Okay. It, I'm it, trying to. So your next record's going to come out on Shrapnel then. I can tell you that 
whatever I'm listening to now is what I will be making three years from now. So it's that's just like how it works. So I was listening to slow music, which is why that's what the Oozing Wound record is going to be. But yeah, look out because I'm I am. I've been on this whole thing because I don't have a job anymore. I just <laughs> I wake up and have to fill my time with stuff, which is really weird. So <laughs> now I, I wake up real early and then I, I do an entire guitar workout every day that takes me about two hours. Holy shit. And I've been doing that every single day for like four months. Dude, that's fucking awesome. Yeah, but I still suck. <laughs> it's just killing me do you suck because you naturally suck or I, no i think okay. so yeah no. like uh I, i've been thinking about total recall a lot because they're like the whole idea is that you take a vacation from yourself uh-huh the biggest problem with me playing guitar is that i hate what my fingers do they don't sound good to me yeah and like i i can't get them to do a different thing they, they're not elegant they're big fucking <laughs> <laughs> and I, I want them to just like glide it's nice little kind uh-huh. of things and it's it it's really hard for me but i'm trying yeah i've never been able to achieve that level of just where it, it just glides and it slides it's it's just not i know that's not in me so i don't try that's exactly what my stance has been forever i was like i got this far doing who fucking knows what playing guitar (laughs) and like writing my shit and i like i just make my stuff Mm -hmm. and but now i'm stuck with me and (laughs) i'm like well this has not gone as far as i wanted it to Mm -hmm. and like you know in my teenage brain of wanting to be kurt cobain or whatever (laughs) so I'm like, well, maybe if I'm a little better at guitar, then I can blame Kevin and Kyle for sucking now. And it's not my fault. In my opinion, they are far superior musicians to me. But that's just because I live with me. So I mm-hmm. know all of my pitfalls. Uh, I know all theirs, too. But they seem more mysterious. They're, they're just comfortable with their, their suckage. Uh, they don't describe themselves as suckage. They got, uh, their own, they got their own weirdness going on. That's my gotcha. description for my style of guitar playing. I see. So how do they describe their playing? I don't know. I've ne- I, it's funny. It's not really something that we talk about outside of interviews. Really? When, I mean, that makes sense. Well, yeah. Why well, would interviews you? are like whole <laughs> conversations with about things you never talk about. Right. Yeah. 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 No, it's like it, it never really came up. It's like mm. I saw Kevin play in Unmanned Ship and it was like, oh, he plays bass with his fingers real fast. We should. Yeah. Play, we should play with him. Yeah. And that's basically it. <laughs> they complained at how hard the stuff was to play at first because I was like, oh, it's really easy. Because to me it was. Uh huh. And they didn't feel that way. Yeah. No, dude, that guy's like all over the fucking. Well, I, I think like. he has a very unique style. I've. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. No, he plays Kevin. He doesn't play bass, and we yeah. we've talked about that. Like, if you wanted him to play a standard, just like do 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 kind of thing on bass, it'd be really difficult for him. <laughs> like he could do it, but it would not be like that's not Kevin playing bass. That's mm-hmm. that's the bass playing yeah, Kevin. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's. The weed has taken over and Kevin's gone just like totally just white uh, and the bass is now. <laughs> you try. You try to let the weed take over. It never really does. What a shame. Weeds us take the wheel. <laughs> Weedus? Weedus take Weedus the wheel? Teenage dirt bag. Teenage dirt bag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a song that like haunted 120 minutes for me. Well, you want to talk about early pop punk years. Well, that's, that's late pop that, punk that's years. That, early? That's late. That's like He's 2000. like 20 years younger yeah, than also us. Also, I'm like 26. Oh, so yeah. that's like 
very yeah. early for him. He probably yeah. heard it in the Dude, womb. Dude, I saw the Get Up Kids at the Metro when I was like in middle school. I, I, I was I was at some bad shit. Gotcha. <laughs> I would argue the Edis, Weedis era was worse. Well, I don't think that that's pop punk. That's like the Weezer influenced alt rock thing mm-hmm. that happened. Yeah, where okay. everyone's like, it's like nerdcore something. Like, it, I don't know. It's its own subgenre. And I'm not like making fun of nerds. It's like the very specific, I wear buddy holly glasses and I'm like, eh, kind of thing. Like, you're doing it on purpose. To well, like, that, well that, I think it was for pop people like when they got a little bit older and they grew out of pop punk, they grew into that. Yeah, Weezer was the uh, the entry point. I mean, maybe for you we- guys. I, I got a different <laughs> skew on Weezer, but if you want to go down there, route, yeah, we can throw talk. it at me. So like, I was obsessed with Weezer. Okay, like hardcore, uh, especially around the Pinkerton era, of course. Of course. Uh, I got I saw them at the Metro bef- uh, like a year before the Green album came out. That was possibly one of the most intense shows I've ever been to. Ever. Really. In the first two seconds of the show, they started with my name is Jonas, and I was a little, you know, like 12-year-old boy. <laughs> I was sideways, moving through a crowd like I couldn't stop. <laughs> it, and it, like, it never let up the entire time. It was fucking insane. And then a year later, they played, uh, I think, at UIC or maybe the United Center. And it was, I couldn't give you a bigger A-B of, like, horrible feeling to, like, amazing elated <laughs> feeling. Uh, it's just weird stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm pretty sure right after that, I saw the White Stripes play at the Metro, and I was like, you know what? I'm I'm done with this like emo stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know what? That's yeah. I'm done. <laughs> I quit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. For me, like uh, bands like Weezer was where the pop punk people went afterward. I guess so. I mean, it's a like. It depends on what your definition of pop punk is, because the kids who were listening to it's Noah, very generous. Kids that were listening to No Effects did not move on to Weezer. They right. they went a darker, darker path. Yeah, I mean, some of No Effects. I wouldn't consider. He knows. Yeah, but I wouldn't consider. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a technical lack of depth that occurs in pop punk that No Effects transcends in some way. Oh no! Here we go. Okay. <laughs> no Effects is more. No Effects is more skate punk. Sure. Yeah. I mean, but no. no. But like, and then there's just it's subgenres of subgenres. Right. And it's just like I I really don't care. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be honest. Or if you're like me, you go from skate punk to thrash metal. Mm. Uh huh. Well, that's like you could you could draw that correlation. That's there. Definitely. I, I like, think they were all tied. Mm-hmm. Pretty close at the beginning. Definitely. It all originated from the same area. You know. And I'm sure I know those communities were closely tied together. So one had influence on the other. <laughs> Got Sam Dunn in the studio today. <laughs> so uh, if we break out this tree. Yeah, we're going to let's go to the tree really yeah, quick. Yeah. Can we can we break up the tree here real yeah, quick? Yeah, it all started here. <laughs> it all started Black Sabbath. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you want to get technical about it. Yeah, no. Were Black yeah. Sabbath the first pop punk band? Who's to say? <laughs> I don't know. We should call it. We should bring Sam Dunn on. What do you think? <laughs> well, for him, Black Sabbath is everything, right? They're black metal. They were black metal. <laughs> they were pop punk. punk. They were skate punk. They were street punk. They were very religious, and that's what I don't understand about this whole like, like yeah, they're, they're metal, but they sing about Jesus a lot. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, that's that. Uh, Geezer Butler was going through some shit, and he put it down. 
And he, I, I know some people really like the song changes. I can't stand it. And it's like his, that, I, that's like Geezer's lyrics. He's mm-hmm. just like, I'm so sad that I literally wrote, I'm so sad. <laughs> Except he made Ozzy sing it. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I, obviously. You got <laughs> you to do it though. I'm sad, but you need to convey that just right for It's me. too bad he didn't sing it or else no one would like it. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. <laughs> and if it hadn't been like in a near single position on that record too. Yeah, it's uh, when I think... The track listing on that album is like so like... Would they thank the Coca-Cola Corporation for that record? <laughs> that's also that's on Volume Four, right? Yeah. So one that like uh-huh. even uh, Iomi's like I don't know why we called it Volume Four. There was no Volume Three. It's just <laughs> it's a everything about that record is weird. It sounds the weirdest. Mm-hmm. It it has uh, changes, which to me is the antithesis of what <laughs> I want Black Sabbath to be. Give me a Planet Caravan. I will take the Iomi fluff stuff. I love. <laughs> The sappy, simple songs, but not that one. That's uh-huh. right up there with Am I Going Insane on uh, Sabotage. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think about it, though. Like, if you look at Black Sabbath in the mainstream and, like, shirts you see in the mainstream, you see Volume 4 shirts the most. I And it's the worst design. I've never understood this. Uh, what, Sleep did Volume 2? Mm-hmm. Or, like, in the early days? And it's just, it's awful. It is mm-hmm. not a pleasing thing to look at. It's making fun of, uh, what, Elvis, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Great. <laughs> <laughs> and Church of Misery did Volume 1 with right. the same layout, too. I just, of all of the Black Sabbath stuff, it's like, yeah, Volume 4, then Master of Reality, uh, in terms of just shit that people are going to just throw out at you. of Just like, I like metal. <laughs> Let me tell you. Yeah. I watched this thing on TV and Sam Dunn Have you told heard me about all Sam about Dunn? Metal. <laughs> wait, who is Sam Dunn? You keep I wait, wait. Okay. <laughs> you played along with that one pretty well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll put something in the episode notes so that we so, <laughs> But oh. we won't tell you right now. No, he's oh, like okay. a okay. he's like a cultural Yeah, he sounds mythical. He's a Canadian cultural uh anthropologist that did this uh VH1 thing that was like organizing all of the subgenres of metal into like trees and Oh, yeah. yes. I yeah. do remember seeing this in that it, they left out a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, uh, they, uh, that's kind of yeah. the problem with trees. <laughs> the the best one that they left stuff out of was the black metal one. I do. Where, yeah, no, I remember. Where they were like they were talking about like just how it all started in Scandinavia and then they were just like and you know we're gonna stop there short of the nationalism and like the church burnings and stopping short of all the things that are gonna stop us from getting contracts with VH1 yeah 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 Good work. Good work, Thanks, academia. Yep. How's that I anthropology for- degree? Oh my God, I forgot about that. What, what was that like on uh, one of the fourth tier VH1 channels? Was that on VH1 Classic? It, yeah. Uh, no. Uh, no, I think it, it was, was syndicated. I saw it in ooh. Europe. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty big. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, you watch this, therefore now you know metal. It right. was like your metal boot camp you could watch. Mm-hmm. I've I've had to give essentially that metal tree speech to like relatives or, you know, you know, family people who are just, I hear you play in a band. What's that like? <laughs> kind of thing. And then you're like, oh, okay, yeah. And then they're like, oh, you play metal. And then they're like, they say some band. It's always like, you're like like Slipknot or something. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, kind of. And, and it's like, here's like, what happened. Let me go in 1969, <laughs> there were these three bands. <laughs> yeah. So I've been there. I get how it can easily be 
turned into this. See, we need to get you a Sam Dunn mask so Ooh. you can pretend like you're in Slipknot, but you're really like pretending to be Sam Dunn, and then you can you can start in 1969. You know, I love it. <laughs> I am Sam Dunn. You need so, a Canadian accent for that, though. Yeah, yeah, that's not too hard. I think we we're uh, mine would come off as probably offensive. Okay, well, don't don't do that. I do. I I have a Midwest accent. I know that because when I was in college, my friend used to make fun of the way I said fire. I don't. I don't know. He would just laugh. Like he tell me to. He's like, say it again. Say it again. And he's from California. Or no, he was from Florida, and he just thought it was the funniest shit. Uh, if he's from Florida, he's yeah. the one with the problems. <laughs> I'm not going to disagree with <laughs> Anywho, we're all too short to be Sam Dunn, too. He's right. actually pretty tall in real life. And wow. he does, and he does uh, Anything the... Anything he can't do? Yeah. I don't want to <laughs> fucking talk about this guy anymore. Let's do something else. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about how you describe Oozing Wound. Because it's like, it verges on, like, noise. Yeah. You know? I would say... It's more noise than metal. I would agree. Um, so, like, how how do you go about interpreting that to, like, in between DIY shows where they are more, like, noise-focused versus, like, playing more metal-focused shows? Like, do you feel like your music crosses those boundaries really well and it allows you to capture that audience? Or or are they, <laughs> are they not boundaries? Yeah. Are they possibilities? It, the way I look at it, yeah. It's not so much like genre, like here's what you do in A, you got to play on the two and the four. This is what soul music is. This is what metal music is or whatever, you know, rules that we have to describe any of this stuff, which is all completely arbitrary. And when you break it down, it, it is all one genre. It is rock and roll that <laughs> is played a bunch of different ways. Uh, the way that we have always thought of the band is that we are a rock and roll band. That is a specific mindset of how you do things. We're not a metal band. We're not an art rock band. It's not like an art project. Uh, I've never thought of myself as an artist as much as I, you know, I strive to it, but I don't think of myself that way. Mm -hmm. So we make music that fits in between all the stuff that we actually like listening to, except that, except pop, because we're not good at that. But <laughs> uh, yeah, like we listen to noise rock, you know, the Chicago used to care about that kind of stuff. It used to be yeah. a big thing here. You know, I grew up obsessing over like touch and go. I really wanted to play with Jesus Lizard at one point and mm -hmm. it's probably never going to happen. But that, that, that was like the first thing that we tried to do. That was more of caca. But then I was also trying to do metal stuff. And it's just like, it's not that different. It's just like a slightly different skill set. You chug down a bunch and then all this, now you're playing metal. And then people were telling us we're playing metal. It's like, okay, we're a metal band. <laughs> so now we're doing it fast and everyone's telling, now you're a thrash band. It's like, okay, but I'm not writing <laughs> thrash songs. Like I know what thrash bands do and they don't have a section like this ever. Mm -hmm. They're not going to go into a bass solo in you know, three, four time where like nothing, like it's all nebulous and you lose the right. beat very specifically, <laughs> like there's no groove. So, you know, from the get go, we get compared to Slayer and I'm like, I get it, but we don't sound anything like Slayer, like no. maybe three, four songs, fast, short, simple ones. But we like, I don't chromatically solo. I know all of the things that make a Slayer song, a Slayer song. Mm -hmm. And so when somebody says that about us, I'm like, but it's not, it's not, I can same. point to you all of the things that it is not, uh -huh. but that doesn't matter to most people. So. Like, I don't know, I'll write a riff and I'm like, hey, I got a grunge riff. And then I bring it in and then Kevin plays it. And I'm like, that's not what I told you to do. And, uh, <laughs> and then Kyle plays the beat and I'm like, that is completely backwards from how I heard it. <laughs> but then now that's an oozing wound song. And that's pretty much, I try to 
not dictate out what we're doing too much because that it, it gives it more like breathing space to do that kind of thing. But whether or not that's successful, I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. like some people like it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've thought about this a lot that we get described often as metal music for people who don't like metal. And I think in ultimately that is the biggest disservice that I have done <clears throat> for our band is created this mindset that we are this thing that exists outside of anybody's perception of what music is. <laughs> I think that's why I enjoy it so much, though, because it some, is so different. Yeah, you know? for some people, that will be the defining feature as to why they will like the band, and then for other people, it'll be exactly why they will never, ever listen to it, and they will not care. Mm-hmm. It's funny, like, I, I grew up in the Burbs, so when, like, I go home and I'm, like, driving around and I'm with a friend and I put Oozing Wound on, they're like, what the f-? Like, And they like metal. They're like, what the f***? Yeah, oh, I'm sure they hate it. They hate it, and I'm like, no, it's really, like, listen to this part, and, like, Kevin does, like, a... And I'm like, this is so cool, like... And they're like, no, 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 it's not. Not if you are a genre-specific listener. Mm -hmm. Like, we're not doing the things that people want metal to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing with, um, with metal in a lot of ways, is that at, like, a mainstream level, there's an obsession with categorization, Um, And that categorization is the defining factor in one's understanding of metal is the um, is the ability to put things in boxes. Uh, Whereas you can thank Sam Dunn for that, too. Yeah, no, but (laughs) I don't think it's metal. No, but but it's not metal. Mm -hmm. Sure. There's like tons. But but to so many of those people, that's like the extent of dorkiness is like, I know what box this goes into. Therefore, I know that genre or, you know. And I think that um, for a band like Wound, you thrive on not being categorized in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great way to not have a good career. I can tell you right now, don't do that if you want people to really care. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, you're also uh, being acknowledged by Roadburn and by Ross Kilday. So there are I'm, larger I'm not, audiences. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that. Uh, I'm just saying, okay, so like the band that we often got lumped with is Power Trip. And interesting I, in our reviews. Okay. They, they would talk about this new wave of thrash of which I had no conception of while we were working on stuff. Cause when I would see shows or I go and see stuff, there was bands like toxic Holocaust. And I'm like, I mm-hmm. hate this. I want nothing to do with this specific thing. Cause to me, it's like, we are metal and they have all these metal things. And there's just like everything you remember about the eighties. You like headbands, you like this crap. It's mm-hmm. everything that you can think of that was metal. And I was just like, this is gross. It feels like an advertisement. No. And so yeah. I I always, no matter what genre, no matter what thing it is, like there's this sense in me that goes off. It's just like, eh, like mm-hmm. I don't like this. Uh, so, it, you know, even if I'm trying to do something specific genre-wise, it's just like I'm going to make this thing. It's like I can't do it. There, My brain won't let me. <laughs> I'm not allowed, like, mentally to... If I if I start noticing the categories, I get really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I don't like having the box around myself, which I know is its own type of box. Like there are those people that are just like, oh, they don't like to fit into anything. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I, I know, but it's like, <laughs> I'm I'm not trying to do anything specific like that. I'm trying specifically not to do a lot of stuff. Yeah, and I feel like that can kind of tap dance you around some things. Um, but yeah, it's it can be really difficult because with music stuff. 
what if you write about music it's because you like specific things and that you decided to go into writing about music for you know whatever reason and so the only way that you can really identify genres especially ones that you aren't affiliated with like on that personal level of like you know you were a hardcore kid you know hardcore you're a metal kid you like this stuff that it has to come at you in some kind of package and so you know the press release delivers it as such and it's just mm -hmm. like oh you like sludge noise metal here you go and then it comes to them in this package and then they perceive it as such and they're just like well clearly they're influenced by these three things that they listen to and it's mm -hmm. like okay i guess it's just it can be maddening when it's like what and this is what i mean by what my intentions are never never transcends to that <laughs> spot so how does the role of your record label or who you're affiliated with play in that uh in that calculus well, um, Thrill Jockey is known for a very specific brand of metal. It's like outsider metal. You know, it's us, the body, Sumac, uh, and some other stuff, uh, like Aaron Turner's bands. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and that has its own specific audience. But as you said, friend, like friends from the suburbs will probably listen to this stuff and they'll be like, this is not metal. Yeah. Uh, and then you'll have somebody who doesn't like metal and you'll play it for them and maybe they will like it because it's going to adhere to some of the stuff that's not within that genre that they've already, you know, kind of dismissed. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I'm kind of just guessing and going off of what my own experience has been, but that's how I see it. Thrill Jockey is really great for like a million things, but I, like we're a metal band on what was traditionally not a, you know, it's like a, a more artsy jazz minded kind of label. Mm -hmm. So yeah, people who listen to, um, God, I can't believe I'm blanking on the name. This is going to go against my metal cred. <laughs> God damn it. What's the big metal label? I can't. Well, there's uh, like Metal Blade, Nuclear Blast, Century Media. Oh, I'm thinking of this. It uh, starts with an R. Roadrunner. Roadrunner. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So well, that would be your suburban metal. That's your, that's your but slip But that's what knot. I mean. It's like, yeah, we're not on that, so we're not going to get that market. That market is so specific. Like, if you're on that label, you have 30,000 people that are just waiting to eat this shit up from you. Oh, more than that. I just like, like yeah. Yeah. Just. But yeah. So. Yeah, you, you, we created our own prison, if you will. <laughs> Is it a prison you're comfortable with? Oh, well, then it's not a prison at all. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, we make what we make, and I, I've come to terms with that, and it's just like, yeah, we, for some people, it's not going to be nearly metal enough. For some people, it'll be way too metal. Uh, what, I guarantee the next record's going to have some comments Mm -hmm. about you know in my mind i'm like it's our groove metal record because it's just like this like, oh so people are gonna make pantera references be careful yeah. with that g word uh -huh. i know yeah. i know yeah. and it's like i hate Pantera. like i don't care if you like pantera <laughs> but it's not my thing like and i think part of the other aspect of it is that metal in general is a very masculine kind of genre and i present at least i think artistically a very feminine energy that pisses a lot of people off no but it's good like i i don't that's my biggest, I got a lot of beefs with metal and I love it, but like one of my biggest beefs is how metal is perceived as like machismo and like big dick energy all around. Pantera and would be like the, the quintessential yeah. of that. And I just think like metal specifically, it, it like, it shouldn't be boiled down to that. It, it's totally this liberating genre that like is just a different way for people to express themselves and like i i hate how like 
you you don't see enough girls in metal because I feel like a lot of dudes are just so like like they shut it off from them. You know what I mean? Well, also yeah. like that exact thing that you described is a thing too, right? And that's a problem, right? But I feel like bands like you or like you know as soon as you get off of Roadrunner and you start focusing on bands that are like more niche, you can easily start. I mean going to the shows you see a lot more diversity in the crowd than if you're at a five finger fucking death punch show sure, yeah definitely and, and like you know everyone's got a fucking monster tattoo in their fucking oakley glasses and shit like <laughs> sorry been there too many times um but the point being is like i don't feel like that encapsulates what the genre really is no i mean but that it, that it's like the media presentation of what it is that mm -hmm. it, that is metal to most people because that's just the that's what the image of metal is mm -hmm. like that could change um i am not going to speak for any women as to why they are or not or are in metal uh we've played with plenty of bands with women in them uh i mean i it's a very difficult subject one because i'm a man so i can't really speak to it right. i know what i have perceived the problems to be and i know what i've done in my own life to make it better but it's like if your perception of that of it going in is that it's like that there are barriers it's gonna there's gonna be barriers mm -hmm. right <laughs> that's a wordy way to say that you kind <laughs> of make the own your own reality right but yeah, not to say that it's not there, because there are plenty of horrible fucking people in music. Oh, and, and that that spans beyond. Oh, metal. that's no That's genre. like that's that's everywhere. But I think what we're talking about is like mainstream components mm -hmm. of any kind of ma any mainstream part of a genre. Mm -hmm. Is that um, that is like the general public of that genre, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what anybody thinks about anything anymore, but in my mind, Evanescence is probably still like a band that people think of when they're like Bro, metal. They're still around, and yeah, yeah, I yeah. Know. That's what I mean. It's just like for some of these things, they haven't changed very much. Like, yeah, since I was in high school. Ugh, gross. Consistency is the name of the game, right? Right. I, I think so. Yeah. That's why I haven't changed anything that I do, <laughs> except put out a mid-tempo, grungy album. Just wait. <laughs> yeah we, gotta, we just gotta find a name and then record it and do all sorts of fun stuff i only yeah. got like two song titles too i'm i'm sounds like you're in the market for a dictionary yeah Ooh. no i've got my uh, i've got my list anytime i hear something that i think is funny i put it on there uh like my I, i've always had this fake industrial band that i wanted to make called heinous penis <laughs> <laughs> Because that's what that name does to people. And it's mm -hmm. just like, but I can't, like, what am I, I can't make a song called that. No one will ever take it seriously. No. Has a Thrill Jockey ever seen something that you've done and said, ah, uh, uh, uh. No. No? Amazingly. <laughs> no, Bettina loves us. Uh, and I think part of it is that uh, she's got a really keen sense for drummers. Uh, and she she's talked about this. She th Her roster of drummers on that label is probably the strongest in the, in the game. Oh, yeah. Like she's got Greg Fox and Brian Chippendale. She's got Kyle, a uh, mm -hmm. bunch of really hard hitters. Kid Millions. Like these are all people who I'd like for the last at least like 15 years that I was like, you know, getting into like, you know, 
this kind of music. I was like, oh, these people are so cool and play so well. Is uh, is locality an important thing for you being a part of a label that's based in Chicago? We're one of the few, actually, that's from Chicago and that's on Thrill Jockey. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as I heard for years, there everyone thought that she wouldn't sign anything local. But it is <laughs> nice because they're in Pilsen, so if we need to go get records or something, it's not like they have to get mailed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, it's... It can be nice. It means when you play a show that usually someone from the label has to show up. <laughs> like, oh, cool, you're here. And there's always going to be a big guest list. Right. <laughs> there's always a guest list, yeah. No, I, I love the people that work at Thrill Jockey. And that, you know, the everybody that's worked on our records in the last, like, 10 years has, they've all been really encouraging. Even if, I mean, I don't know what everybody listens to, but I don't think that they work there specifically to work with us <laughs> so i i'm incredibly appreciative of anything like that mm-hmm. so uh i guess to kind of wrap it all up oh uh, wow you're really gonna do it no i don't want to actually <laughs> no um so talk to me about um so we we covered noise a little bit and uh i think lingua ignota is like a prime example of noise um oh Kristen transcends all of that all, all that she is classically trained she Uh has an operatic voice you can use noise and then if you have skills like hers you can (laughs) transcend out of the fucking stratosphere with it absolutely i don't have that (laughs) so what's it like opening for her oh i mean we've known her for years uh she's incredible i probably funny to people who were at that show that's a pretty big a b in terms of like intensity that are somehow within the genre of metal (laughs) i guess Uh uh-huh opposite ends uh in my mind, I think of what her like, like almost like neo gothic or something. I don't know. Oh, I don't know if yeah. it's got a genre name. It, no, I just know everyone I play it to fucking hates it, and oh, I sure. have to turn it off right away. And I'm like, but, okay. but if you wait twenty minutes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. You got eight more minutes, and I'm telling you, the buildup is worth yeah, it. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> like art stuff like that. It's hard to. <sighs> It's the difference between liking melodies and liking music, mm-hmm. I would argue. Uh, I've been reading a lot about this. But, I mean, for the most part, most music that people think of is synonymous with the melody. It's the lyrics that you're singing. And if you take the lyrics away, most people actually can't remember the melodies of their favorite songs mm-hmm. without the words doing it. Because for most people, uh, at least conceptually, uh, music is language. Language is the thing that pulls you in. So if you're doing something like Kristen is where you're in upper registers doing stuff that's like, you know, floating all over the place, based almost like an aria, Mm -hmm. but but not because arias were made for the people that those were the pop songs from the the opera. But (laughs) when you have that kind of a thing, if you don't have that background and you don't have that knowledge, all that (laughs) is, is just, I don't know. It's like being hit with a 10,000 page book. Yeah. But if you like it, then it's great. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I keep thinking about this idea of melody and music and like what the inherent differences are. And possibly one of the biggest issues with our band is that I don't like, you know, I'm singing, but nobody sings along with anything that I do. Right. And that could be a big part of the type of stuff that if you want people to like your band, do that, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, definitely. I, uh, yeah, yes, for like a larger audience, but like, oh, I'm talking, I'm specifically talking about larger okay. audience. If you, if you are willing to dive deeper, which is, you know, not most people, mm-hmm. maybe 
of the total population who are willing to go onto a deeper level with music. It's like then you learn about all the kinds of things and counter melody and like all the stuff that's mm -hmm. going on and what rhythm is doing and, you know, following the bass and doing intense listening and being able to follow one instrument while you're listening. But that mm -hmm. most people don't do that. Right. So it, it, it can be hard because I know that your <laughs> rebuttal to that is going to be like, but in my, it's but like, but it's no, yeah, it's like, no, it's, it's not, not us. It's yeah. not trying to, and, and I try to keep that in mind. It's like trying to write music. It's not, I, you're writing for the general audience mm -hmm. who have literally no knowledge of music. Right. And or, they want to hear the same thing. Yeah. Right. They, oh, I mean, and that's the other weird thing about music. It's the only art form where you have to hear it more than once or experience it more than once to actually enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Your first experience with a song, you have, you're learning the patterns in your brain or your, your, your brain's trying to figure out like, you know, matching what you already know to like, this is how this melody works. And then when it defies your expectation in a way that's pleasing, then all of a sudden you like, you love that song and then you can keep playing it. And the theory is, is that because your brain, if the way that we're wired is that you will always, no matter how many times you listen to that song, if it does that unexpected jump, your brain will always be following it in this like note by note pattern. And it still expects it not to do that thing. Mm -hmm. And that's where that like pleasure comes from. Interesting. I think to kind of counteract that, maybe not even counteract, but um, w the first time I heard Ode to Joy, the, the. You the, can remember that? Oh, fuck yeah, dude. Oh yeah, <laughs> I can't remember. It's like that. The first, it's one of the first things you ever hear. No, no, it wasn't Ode one to, of the first. Oh, to joy in so, like every Chris, Christmas commercials, like all sorts of stuff. I feel like that's a song. All right, when I sat down to listen to it, okay, because I there's obviously the build up to the the choir, right, mm -hmm. where where it's the famous Beethoven part. But like when I sat down, I was like, oh my god, okay. That was so good. And what made it good was the first three minutes, the little uh, violins and cellos playing together leading into that. Like, Oh, well, that's because Beethoven is the master of form and structure. He is absolutely I mean, widely considered to be the best person to listen to if you want to understand how to interrelate themes throughout a song. He was that. And that's the brilliance of that kind of stuff is right. you introduce something and then you kind of mess with it throughout the song. And if you don't know that classical music just sounds horrible because if you didn't pay attention to the theme, it's like if you miss the thing in the overture, like you don't know what you're technically listening for anymore. Well, yeah, if you if you don't listen intently to the first part, so uh, specifically like his ninth symphony leading into Ode to Joy, it's A, B, A, B, C, D. Mm -hmm. And that's the structure of it. And if you don't listen to A, where you're already getting, you get little cues of what's going to be in D, which is the finale in Ode to Joy, right? Right, and that's and, the payoff. Right, yeah. right. And so, like, that that's what I mean. Like, even when you're in C and you're going into the finale, which is Ode to Joy, you get all these cues before that, and I'm, like, the huge geek about that. But, it, again, it is super structured, like you said. I like that we're in classical music now, so let's, let's talk about uh, Bach, who broke all the rules, who Ooh. I consider the first metal musician. Well, I mean, he's the beginning of most modern music, right? Because well-tempered clava... Cla it's not clavichord. What is clav... Um, Harpist chord. No, right? it's clava no? something. It's just like, I always think of it's the clavichord, but it's not that. It's not clavicle, because that's the... <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's anyway, the, body, the, the yeah. idea, uh -huh. the well-tempered, the actually tuned piano. Right. So basically, our modern music starts there, and then we go from that. But mm -hmm. yeah, I, I'd say most of the people, like... 
you know, shredder guitar players. They were all classically trained because right. they're assholes. And then they came <laughs> in, they were fucking metal music and made everybody feel bad about themselves. Uh-huh. And then, yeah, and then they're an extreme and you're like, man, your band sucks, but you really play. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the music, but you play so well. All you need is I'm Bill and Ted. <laughs> He's I can't never remember his name. A guitar player from Extreme. He's the one that does that song. Mm-hmm. That's play when Beethoven's doing the. Yeah. What is his name? It doesn't matter. I think it starts with a P, but I can't remember. I, like I said, I've been watching a lot of horrible, like shreddy guitar things in an effort to get better. And you know, there's a lot of like Yang Wee Malmsteen stuff. Where you're like, yeah, okay. I saw I saw your record covers and I was disappointed. You're like Molly Hatchet. This is not good. <laughs> there is nothing worse than that. You see the fucking like demon on the record cover. Uh-huh. You're like, this is gonna be sick. And it's like, and no, it's, like, oh, it's a bunch of man. just weird major chords. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think I the weirdest thing about Malmsteen is seeing him live and he's still wearing the same exact outfit he awesome. wore 30 years ago. <laughs> What, Angus Young doesn't know, but he seems to mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah still, a very different guitar still, player. Still, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Yingwei's actually good. <laughs> you mean you can't just play G, C, and D for like all your? Music uh, and I mean, who okay? has the bigger career? <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly, fame dictates quality. <laughs> yeah, I didn't say quality. I said career. Very different. Obviously, I know where I stand on the side of things. <laughs> I mean, I, I love me some ACDC, so leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. What? Uh, okay. Yeah. What you got? Yeah. So when wound comes out of the womb, <laughs> be our second womb. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are you going to are you going to try to put a record out quick, get on the road quick? Uh, it's kind of up in the air right now. Um, our. The band plan is that we're going to record when we're damn well ready, which is literally something we've never done. I, every single record, there's been some song where I'm still working on lyrics up to the point where I yell them into the microphone. <laughs> and then about a year later, I'm like, that's not how that should have gone. <laughs> that's just how it is. But this one, because there is there is nothing that's like pushing us. And that's its own weird shit because i've never been in this position before and since i was like in high school i was just like well what's the point it's like mm-hmm. well we don't even have like the battle of the bands to like go <laughs> play or whatever thing so yeah like i want the idea originally was maybe this month we would record or next month we would record like a digital single or something and then we would go into the studio and we're like actually ready and record something i think the tentative plan is maybe to do a sanford Maybe. I don't, you think these things up, you talk with the people, everyone's on board, and then it never happens. That's, <laughs> that's my uh, life. Uh, and I've talked with Bettina, and she's basically like, whenever you're ready to record a record kind of thing. So it's really just about when, when would it even make sense to do it? Mm-hmm. Because if you don't tour, we will be lost right. <laughs> like, immediately. We made the most fucked up video with Sarah Squirm. It lasted on the internet, like consciousness, I think for like two days. <laughs> yeah. Cause there's just always something else. And I, like it's the positive negative aspect of music is that there are like a billion things getting released every week. And I don't know how people keep up with it. Like I am personally a music historian. I like, it, like just, I will handle the seventies 
and like I'm I cannot <laughs> like keep up at all. Mm. Every time I see a new record, it's just like oh god, anxiety. <laughs> okay, here's another thing in my queue of stuff that I'm supposed to listen to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know how people handle that, but yes, I would love to keep keep doing it. And play a show and whatever that means anymore. Some drive-in theater in Joliet. (laughs) Yeah. Well, damn. So I guess whenever we can get our shit together is when we'll be seeing you guys again. Oh, oh, yeah. Y'all, you're at Indiana opened up to stage five today. We're doomed. I don't know if if music's coming back. Everyone's going to go tour in Indiana. Uh, Oh, oh, well, yeah, that is the alternative way to look at it. Or uh, what was that, North Dakota? North Dakota, Indiana. There's a tour uh, route. There yeah. you go. <laughs> and then you avoid all the big cities, right. all the problem areas. Mm-hmm. All the anarchists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to play shows for them. They're not true rock and roll fans. Yeah, they hate metal. Yeah, they must hate metal. Yeah. I, what do they listen to? Like Fun Period? Whatever that Fun. Is. Fun Period. Remember that band? Some Nights. I think I that, just... that it's a really dated <laughs> reference, I think, at this point. No, no, I no, think, yeah, I get what you But I just, that's, in my mind, that's the funniest band that's ever existed. I've never heard stuff I've hated more than fun, period. Period. <laughs> <laughs> well, shit. Well. Yeah. Zach, thank, thank you for you joining so us today. For joining us. This, I, I this hope is, this was uh, no, this elucidating. Was awesome. <laughs> yeah. I love this We enjoyed so ourselves yeah. thoroughly. Thank you. <laughs> cool. Well, take care of yourself, and, um. I guess we'll see you on the uh, the other side of all of this. Hell yeah, keep it oozy, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>